and welcome to the Last of the Moon podcast. I'm Bryce McCracken. I'm Brett Phoenix. Joaquin, marry me. I'm Wyatt Van Dyke. <laughs> and today we will be talking about Brett. I mean, Bo is afraid. Brett, were you scared? Brett was pretty fucking scared. He was afraid. Wyatt, um, were you afraid? I was in, at no point in that movie genuinely afraid. There's one. There's one scene that we'll talk about that got me a little razzled. Just. Thoroughly bewitched, I would say. That's that's a very good way to describe this movie. And in a lot of ways, Bo's Afraid kind of defies explanation. I went into this not really having any idea what to expect. I, I was very, very excited when I saw that Ari Aster was making another movie just based on his first two, Midsummer and Hereditary. I was He was quickly rising in my estimation as like one of the best working directors right now, and so I avoided... All talk about this movie, didn't watch any of the trailers. Anytime they would show up on YouTube when I was watching a YouTube video, I would just turn down the volume and look away for five seconds until I could skip the ad. You gotta um, get that YouTube premium done. Yeah, I really You're should. Way behind. But I think that it really improved my experience watching this movie because I had absolutely no idea what to expect. I mean, I, I certainly knew it would likely be frightening just because Midsummer and Hereditary are terrifying movies but other than that i had no idea what was going to happen and i frankly didn't really know what was going on at any point in the movie you say that like as if it's like some comparative advantage you're very much a person who does not watch trailers i very much am someone who watches every little bit of a movie i can get my hands on before it comes out i watched every trailer every little thing i could find about this movie i had no didn't fucking help. clue what <laughs> was happening the whole time i was gonna say that it's been mentioned before that me and Bryce are very anti-trailer in general, usually. I don't know what the trailers for this movie were like because I still haven't seen them. This was something that, regardless, I'm glad that I didn't know anything about because it enhanced the experience a little bit. But um, the movie would be very jarring for like a fan of heart moviegoer. Certainly. Like uh, my mom would have not lasted very long <laughs> watching this movie. This would kill the average like 50 plus year old person. I was actually seeing my parents the day that we went to go see this and they asked me what I was doing that night. And I was like, oh, um, we're going to go see a movie. And they were interested in that. So they were asking about what movie we're going to go see. And I said that I, I didn't know much about it, but that, you know, I went on on a little bit of a tangent talking about Ari Aster mm-hmm. and like his importance in, in film right now. And they were like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they did not care Seems like the a last, little bit. the last thing that they would be interested in. Yeah, but also, at the it, on the flip side of that, my mom was asking me if I would go see um, God's Son with her, which I don't know if you've heard about heard this. I did not. I've only heard about this. I have a movie podcast with my friends. It doesn't belong to me. We collectively have a movie podcast, and my mom was asking me to go see a movie that I hadn't heard not of even heard yet of. because it's like, a usual biblical rendition film that like it's very much in her circle, but I thought it was funny that I had no idea this was even out. Have you seen know. God's Not Dead, Wyatt? Yeah, we they made us watch mm-hmm. that. Okay. We should do a pod. <laughs> it would be fantastic. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> let's take a second to talk about Ari Aster. As you can see by the posters on my wall, I'm a big Ari Aster fan. Midsummer and Hereditary. What's his last name? Aster. I barely know her. Fucking go! Yeah, go, baby. Yeah, you're fired. (sighs) Like I said, based on his first two movies, he was quickly rising as one of my favorite working directors. And I'll say it: 
after this movie, wait, what's his job? Making movies? No, like, what's the title for that? Like, what maker? No, like, what's his? I role? barely know her. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, good fuck. <laughs> All right, maybe I should just quit. These guys are a step ahead of me here. I'll say it. Three perfect movies. I don't know if you guys would agree with me. This movie freaking rocked. I've not seen Hereditary, but what I do know. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, it's on my list. I I think I'm a little bit too scared to like make myself watch it because it's like when I'm thinking about what kind of movie I'm going to watch whenever I don't know, whenever I'm looking at my watch list, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to pull the trigger on the movie that I know is going to want to make me piss pull, myself. Pull the what? It's... Pull the what? <laughs> Say it. Trigger. <laughs> I barely know I, her. I barely know her. Nice. <laughs> All right, no more of those. <laughs> it's hard for me to pull the trigger. I barely know her on a movie that I know is going to make me piss myself if it's not October. That's fair. You should do what I did with Hereditary and watch in like 10 minute increments over the span of like six months <laughs> because you really, you know, it's a great movie and it's phenomenal, but also at the same time, you're a scared little boy. What I do know is that three in a row. 10 out of 10 movies like perfect in in your verbiage is uh is a bold take regardless i don't know that i necessarily disagree but my inclination is to think about it hard because that's, that's a really fair. big claim <laughs> i've been thinking and i'm standing by it i'd go two for three which right? one do you not like as much i don't think bo is afraid is a perfect movie okay, by any that's means fair. i think it'll be interesting to discuss hereditary and midsummer are tough acts to follow and I think regardless of that, if you look at Bo's Afraid outside of the, the frame of reference of Ari Aster's other work, it's still a great movie, but actually I'd say good movie, but there are certainly flaws here that we will discuss further that I'm glad to see that we all have differing opinions mm -hmm. on. It, it certainly stands out. I mean, like his movies have gotten, I don't want to say less and less horror-like. I mean, Hereditary is like a true blue, very dark, very like demonic horror movie. Midsummer is a really, really unique take on a horror movie in that it's still definitely a horror movie, but it's like beautiful. It's very like brightly lit and colorful, and it really takes a while to become a horror movie. Bo's Afraid, I don't even think you can call it a horror movie. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. It's certainly a horrific movie, but I don't know. It, it feels more like a trippy psychological drama almost that follows one character and just a lot of horrific shit happens to him and because Ari Aster has the language of horror that he's so experienced with and so good at using he works those horrific elements into it very well but I don't I don't know do you guys agree that well, it's pretty genre breaking yes at the end of the day it's really tough to categorize yes. this movie for reasons that are difficult to explain easily but one thing that I noticed something that I was thinking about frequently through the movie is wow, this really is is going to be uh, proof that Ari Aster can do variants in his movie, in his movies, especially just strictly based on the fact that this movie is really really funny. And I don't know about Hereditary; I haven't seen it, but Midsummer mm. is not funny. Midsummer has some funny moments. Yeah. It the the one dude with the eyebrows is like a comic relief character, but right. it's certainly not like a comedy. This movie borders on jo uh, comedy genre. I would I would call it a comedy, probably. Yeah. 
it, w- without a doubt, like, and I feel like some people are definitely going to miss the comedic points of this movie because it, I don't know, it's a little bit like it's not very in your face comedy. And you have to, especially if you are seeing this in a theater, you have to like really consider are these moments that I'm supposed to be laughing at, but you definitely are. Yeah. It was written and directed that way without a doubt. And it, to me, just on the comedic points, just really nailed it. I was laughing harder in this movie than I've, I've laughed in a theater for a while. For this year, probably. I'm trying to think of in this anything year, else this year. Without a doubt. Yeah. It's between this or bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> uh, that was last, last year. year but yeah. But anything I, with Nathan Lane is going to be funny. Nathan Lane killed it. I think the comedic elements are the best part of this movie. Mm-hmm. I think if there's like one genre you could break it down into that it did its best in, like its best work in, I'd say it was it was best as a comedy movie. My favorite sequence of the movie is this is a pretty easy film to chop up into separate sections, uh, is one that's the most reliant on comedy. I think that's what it does well. Mm-hmm. Have either of you seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. Uh, it was my favorite of 2020. It was went straight to Netflix. Um, there were a lot of elements tonally that reminded me of that in that it's like very, very trippy and about like a significant portion of this movie. You don't really know what's going on. You don't really know what's real. You don't know what's metaphorical. You don't know what's literal. And it takes a lot to kind of unpack that and figure out what's going on i already intend on seeing this movie again because i'd I'd like to think through it some more and i have a feeling you guys will feel very similarly not i have a rough outline of what we should talk about but i don't know if we're gonna have any answers we might just have a lot of questions because this movie's pretty confusing do you guys feel feel like you're gonna have many answers no absolutely not that's my main qualm with this movie, not that I expect a movie to provide you with answers. Like, I don't think it should be cut and dry, mm-hmm. but I think the lack of answers I can scrape together after a day's worth of watching and thinking on this movie is something I take issue with personally. Maybe you were saving this for later, but do you want to talk about that Ari Aster quote about the point of the film? Yeah, I mean, Brett's, Brett's partner brought up this interview with Ari Aster, and I have not had the time since watching it last night to do much research of my own, but... <laughs> they mentioned uh and, and again for context on you know we've already like alluded to this but this is this is a very confusing movie yes nothing is clear at all you're really thrown for loops on loops on loops it's just a constant roller coaster ride and nothing will make sense with that in mind yeah ba- basically Ari Aster was asked like what does any of this mean and his response was like isn't it obvious? <laughs> it's like, just watch the movie. Yeah. It's obvious. It's right in your it's face. It's right in it's your so face. Clear. Which was just a hilarious response to be like, figure it out, man. That's the whole point. Wyatt, to your point, I I totally get that. I My opinion on movies that you really have to think about to like properly understand really comes down to how much you enjoy the experience of it. If a movie is intentionally confusing like this, but I don't enjoy the process of reaching the end of the movie, it's very upsetting to me because it's like, screw you for making me A, have to think about this, and B, asking that I watch this again to figure it out because you didn't give me anything entertaining in the meantime. I loved, this movie's almost three hours long, 
and I was not in a great headspace at the time. I was a very queasy boy. I had not eaten all day, and I was just locked in. Like, I was having a great time. I was laughing. I was scared at points. I was just like, there were some beautiful shots. Everything on the screen, everything that Ari Aster was giving to me, I was like, this is just awesome. And so I'm okay needing to invest more of my mental capacity to try to figure out what's going on because it's like, oh no, I have to watch this awesome movie again to figure it out. Like, I don't mind that. Yeah, I don't, I don't want it to seem like I'm like mad that I have to think. Like I, don't, like I said, a mm -hmm. movie should not just hand you a, a, something on a plate and say, this is what you're supposed to take from this. There are movies like that that exist. They are frequently relegated to the Hallmark Channel for good reason. <laughs> but at the same time, there's only a like it was a it was an enjoyable experience. I had a great time watching this movie. I spent a considerable time laughing. I spent the car ride home talking with everybody that saw it about what in the fuck did we just <laughs> watch? What what happened? But at the same time, that's like shock value. It feels shock value um, mm -hmm. driven to me. Maybe I read something online that pull something together and ah it finally makes sense but usually i can do and like take pride and i think it adds to the experience when i can pull all of that together and with this movie i am just thrown for a loop i maybe if i watch it again it'll all make sense i don't think it will and <laughs> that's like my my big issue with it towing the line between good and great movie it's not a 10 out of 10 because you can only get so abstract before it loses you. You become one of those cheesy, like minimalist. Like you can only get so fancy with your art before you become the person who paints a canvas, a canvas white, and sells it for ten million dollars because it's a statement piece. And this feels a little bit like that, where they're like chaotic for the sake of being chaotic. And then they say, "You don't see the point," and it bothers me a little bit. Speaking to the point of the enjoy. Speaking to the point of the joyful process of just watching the movie and going along with it, I cannot wait for the movie to be streaming because I want to watch it at home in an environment where I'm comfortable talking through the movie and like pointing things out and quipping mm -hmm. <laughs> because that's just going to be like a really fun time. Yeah. And I'm personally of the opinion that talking during movies isn't always the worst thing in the world. It's, it depends on the environment. It depends yeah. on the environment and also like don't talk through the entire thing. Talk at like certain points whenever like it's low and makes sense to talk. Has everybody seen this movie before? Is it a rerun rerun for everybody or mm -hmm. not? Things like that. Regardless, it was very enjoyable to watch. It was a fun experience. And there were multiple times that I looked over at Bryce, who I was sitting next to, and I just saw pure ecstasy <laughs> on his face. Like not hamming it up for anybody else to see. This was just I didn't know you were like looking at me. pure joy that he was experiencing, and I was only looking at him because I knew that he would be experiencing the same thing because I was experiencing it, and it was just a good movie going for the ages. I, I I'm gonna have a lot of fond memories about this movie and like going out that night to go see it. Yeah, do you guys have much else to say in in regards to like your overall thoughts about it? Because there's a lot going on here, and I, I, I'd like to get into spoilers to really like figure out what's going on here. We should probably sum it up. I'm not going to do it. Like I said, I, oh, that's I don't a great know idea. Yeah, I can Someone do that. I give, don't normally do it. Give your best rip on what this movie's about. Yeah, so Joaquin Phoenix plays a guy, middle-aged. Also, he looks older than I've ever seen him look, which, I mean, makes sense because he's older now. 
That's um, how time works. Yeah. But I don't know. He's got gray hair and he's balding. But Joaquin Phoenix plays this guy. He's like living in this urban city. It doesn't say where. And New York vibe. It, it's it's similar to New York. I well for reasons that we'll get into. I don't think it is New York, but he gets a call from his mother, or rather, he's he's planning on having a trip to see his mother. Bunch of shenanigans go down, and it becomes increasingly harder to get to his mother's. Bunch of stuff happens. Bunch of bad stuff happens, and it is just this. Horrible, horrible ride that Joaquin Phoenix's character goes through, all in an effort to just get to his mother. It's very metaphorical, it's very trippy, it's very disturbing, but it's also very funny. If you have any desire to see it, it's in theaters right now. Highly recommend checking it out. I loved it, Brett really liked it, Wyatt enjoyed it. Good time. (laughs) Go ahead, check it out, and you can join our conversation. If you don't care, though, feel free, jump right in. This isn't a critique of you or the way that you see movies it's just funny to me i thought starting the podcast i never in a million years would think that uh you Wyatt, were going to be the most critical of movies out of the three of us i would have said it was going to be bryce but and i respect this about you i'm a pretentious ass bitch (laughs) and i'm i'm glad that you have pretentious takes because it adds to the podcast but um I, it's I get that, very frustrated when people accuse me of being pretentious because I clearly, just really like movies. That's my, that's my whole brand. Yeah. It's something that I've enjoyed getting to learn about you in the process. I, for all my soft Midwest exterior, am a cold East Coast bitch on the inside. Part, I think part of the reason why I struggle to find flaw in this movie is because so much of it is metaphorical. I like all of the technical aspects of this movie, all the acting, everything else is pretty much flawless. So I think the only place that I could theoretically like see finding flaw would be within those metaphorical things and whether or not they make sense. And I have yet to see it again. And so it's like, I kind of just have to give him that one and be like, this probably makes sense. I trust you as a director and as a filmmaker to put intention behind everything that you're showing me and so it's it's hard for me at this point to be like i have issue with all of these things because a lot of it doesn't make sense to me next time i see it i can obviously reevaluate but yeah where i'm at right now this movie rocks movie certainly rocks and i agree with what you said about the rewatch factor that there aren't a lot of movies that i feel inclined to re to rewatch as soon as i've watched them I was immediately thinking about how I want to watch this again. Mm-hmm. See what I didn't catch before and and just think on it more than I, I knew that I would need to the first time through. Do you want to talk about the, like, just from the beginning where we start? Yeah, so so I, I my idea for breaking this down, I think because it is so abstract and all over the place, would be a, at least a little bit plot-centric. There are four very distinct acts in this movie and i have them labeled new york hell question mark nathan lane is the funniest person on earth the forest people and mommy issues i feel like if you've seen the movie you probably know exactly what i'm talking about for each of these scenes but new york hell question mark is the first bit do one of you want to go into a little bit more detail about like what's going on here i would like to talk about this because this is one of my favorite parts of the movie that I thought was the most 
interesting and experimental from a filmmaking perspective. We see Joaquin Phoenix, his character. He is set in this urban landscape that is exaggerated beyond belief to what somebody who doesn't know anything about a city might look like. I said that about um, my mom. I leaned over at one point and I was like, this is what Jody thinks that Pittsburgh looks like. And, yeah. and for context, it is like a GTA server. It is complete hell and chaos. It is apocalyptic the way that it seems like society has crumbled, but is oddly still Modern. is oddly still functioning <laughs> yeah. at the same time. It's like, it's almost controlled chaos where people are fighting and killing each other on the streets and everybody is doing drugs and there's a huge homeless problem. It's very violent. And Joaquin Phoenix is like sprinting into his apartment building just to get there alive. Almost uh, to a point of, and not almost definitely to a point of disbelief that this is a place that could even exist. It is like fantastical mm -hmm. the way that it exists in the world compared to what, what we know as a, a city. If you struggle to, to picture what this like type of place looks like and you haven't seen this movie, just kind of take into consideration how like Fox news describes Chicago. <laughs> and that's basically what's going on. There's a, a bit that ran through this part <laughs> where there was a guy on the ground, it was revealed that a guy was on top of him gouging his eyes out with his thumbs. Yeah. And that that is at one point in the sequence of the movie. And for comedic effect. And he's just like in the background of a shot. He's in the background of the, of the shot. And he, he keeps popping up. These two guys, he keeps popping up at different sections <laughs> of the sequence. We're like... Six hours later into the, the end of the day, yeah. he's still getting his eyes <laughs> gouged out. I, I almost wonder. I almost wonder if it's a different guy, and that's just like this dude's thing. Like I he think just that it's the attacks same. Attacks people and gouges their eyes out with his I thumbs. Was, I was paying a lot of attention because I was entranced by this <laughs> bit. It was so funny to me. I'm pretty sure it's the same two guys <laughs> fighting the entire They're time. Still going. It is hilarious. There's a character called the Happy Birthday Stab Man, <laughs> who is this butt ass naked dude. Who just goes around and stabs people? He's got like twenty eight victims or something like that, and they list him on the news. They're like, "How to look out for this guy? He's six feet tall and he's circumcised." <laughs> it's just, just the most ridiculous bit you've ever seen. We gotta mention that too. We'll get into this more, but there's cock all over. There's this a movie. lot of cock in this movie. <laughs> uh, one of my other favorite things. This is less funny, but it really shows how like, just shit this place is. There's just like a decaying body in yeah. the middle of the street that characters just have to like drive around or jump over and nobody's doing anything about it. And it shows very clearly that the forces that be, the police, the ambulance, they're just completely inept. <laughs> There's a funny scene right at the end of this sequence where Joaquin Phoenix is looking for help and he like runs up to a police officer because he's about to get stabbed by the circumcised dude. Or is he uncircumcised? No, he's circumcised. He's circumcised. Yeah. I looked. <laughs> and he's like butt-ass naked, Joaquin Phoenix. And he's got his arms up. And he's Clearly like... Clearly not a threat. Yes, he's like, please, I just need some help. And he just keeps repeating, like, please just help me. Help me. And the police officer is freaking out, pointing his gun at him. And like, 
keep your hands in the air and just like Joaquin Phoenix is doing everything that he's being asked to and this police officer is just losing it and is about to shoot him before Joaquin Phoenix runs away and miraculously gets away. Joaquin is not doing anything yeah. at this point. <laughs> and and this goes on for a while and the officer's like, don't make me do it, man. I don't want to do it to you. I don't want to hurt you. It's really funny. It's really great to make fun of cops. I'm glad <laughs> that they threw that in there. It's like they knew I was going to see the movie. This movie has a lot of metaphorical things and maybe like, is this really real type things? And the first 25 minutes here are just insane, but there's nothing that's like completely confusing until the first scene where Joaquin Phoenix tries to go to bed and he's in this like dingy little apartment trying to go to sleep and a note gets slid under his door. And at this point, I was almost thinking like, ooh, it's got, like, this real mystery vibe to it. I was almost wondering, like, is this going to be a mystery, like, trying to solve, figure out what's going on here? Wasn't that at all. Uh, but the note is just like, hey, I'm trying to sleep. Turn your music down. But there is no music. And this happens a few times. Not like, playing from Joaquin's room or anywhere else. Yes. And he goes back to bed, wakes up again to another note that was passed under the door, a little bit angrier. He's writing in all caps now. Like, hey, People are trying to sleep. Turn down your music. Still no music. Goes back to bed. A third note gets passed. Reads it. Guy's very upset about the music. He goes to lay back down. And then all of a sudden there is music from the room next door that keeps him awake. And it's like, was there ever music? I, I struggle to think at this point or struggle to realize if there's any significance there. Or I think realistically and this is kind of stepping on what is the point of this movie but i feel like it's worth addressing now because it's kind of like how you have to framework watching this movie this whole movie is just like <laughs> exemplifying what intense anxiety does to a person and so i think that that might be sort of what he's experiencing there just like someone else is upset with him for something that he didn't do and He's anxious about it. So, I don't know. That's kind of how I interpreted that. Yeah. That, I think, is the through line of the movie. Like, there's a lot to extrapolate out of the different scenes. Like, a lot, a lot to extrapolate out of the different scenes. But as far as the overall point of the movie, I think that's been kind of the consensus is that is that, that is what it's about. Which is interesting to me. It, I think, is going to be really cl actually clear to a lot of people, that specific part. Um, and unclear to a lot of others. And I think that's going to have it. That's going to be determined by your relationship with anxiety, mm -hmm. where there is a real dichotomy between me and my partner, Colleen, who is watching the movie with us. Colleen is somebody who experiences a lot of anxiety, generally speaking. And I'm somebody who does not. It was very clear to Colleen that this is what it was about. And it was very unclear to me that that's what it was about. Alternatively, Colleen was affected a lot more by the parts of the movie that were meant to make you feel anxious and in Bo's shoes and scared. And I rarely felt that way. And I was laughing so much. <laughs> we're like the next day we were talking about a specific scene and Colleen was like, this particular scene made me so uncomfortable. I, I felt so scared by this and I, I, I just couldn't get through it. I hated watching it. And What's, I was like, what scene? I was like, that's my favorite. Like, that was yeah. one of the funniest scenes to me in the whole movie. It was where it, I wasn't going to talk about it because it's in the next sequence. But we'll it, it, it's the 
daughter bullying him in the car mm-hmm. really made Colleen very uncomfortable, and I was I was off of my seat. It was so funny. Yeah. To sort of jump into that next sequence, I guess sort of like what's happening here. The music that's playing makes Bo sleep in. That's his name. Joaquin Phoenix's name. I don't know if we said that yet. Music makes Bo sleep in, and he is late for his flight to go see his mother. And he rushes out the door, realizes he forgot something, runs back in, and comes back, and his keys, which he left in the door, and his suitcase have been stolen. All goes to hell. He gets very anxious about this because he doesn't know what to do. He takes some medication that his doctor gave him. Got a lot of thoughts on the doctor as well when we get near the end here. Played by esteemed A24 character actor, guy yes. that I can't remember the name of, but keeps showing up in every A24 let's, movie. Let's find him, because he rocks. He was in Lady Bird. He was in... Um, Stephen McKinley Henderson. Stephen McKinley Henderson. He, am I thinking of any other movies? He's got this. He's got Lady Bird. What else I know him from Fences, but he was also in Lincoln. Uh, was he Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. He's one of those guys that I can recognize immediately because he's in a lot and he's so recognizable. Mm-hmm. He's a very unique looking person, but I could not have told you his name. Uh, Wyatt, you likely know him from Lady Bird, Lady Bird in Manchester by the Sea. But yeah, his doctor gave him medicine and was like, hey, you have to take this with water. And Bo realizes that the water in his apartment's been shut off. He rushes outside to try to get some water because he's having an anxiety attack. Leaves a a book in the door to his apartment so he can rush in and rush back because he doesn't have his keys anymore. And that's how all of the homeless people get into his apartment. He's just in the corner shop across the street watching as the entire street empties into his apartment building. And of course, because his door is open, they all just go straight into his room. It reminded me of the house that Jesse gets in Breaking Bad, oh, where yeah. it's just constant partying. It was like, all right, this is our space now. But yeah, he is freaking out, finally gets back inside. <laughs> this scene was insane. He goes to take a bath to just, like, relax. And he, like, looks up, and there's just a guy <laughs> on his ceiling, like, pressed up against the wall, holding himself up. I don't know how that guy got in there. Uh, do you, well, it's also not clear what he's even hiding from, but yeah, he's terrified. Um, Maybe he saw the spider that then crawls across his face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a brown recluse on the on the loose. Uh, yeah. As well. Recluse on the loose. Recluse on the loose. Hashtag that baby. But yeah, he falls and scares the shit out of Joaquin Phoenix, and he's naked in the bathtub, so he sprints outside to get help, and interacts with. Mr. Stabby Stab, whatever his name is. Happy birthday, Stab Man. Happy birthday, Stab Man. Goes through that interaction with the police that I mentioned, runs away from the police officer, and gets hit by a car, and it fades to black. And that's how each of these sequences kind of end. Like, something happens to Bo, and he gets knocked out, and it fades to black. And then next thing we know, we're, like, in a completely different space. And each of these sequences have, like, a very unique tone to them. Like, that first sequence is really, really dark and chaotic and chaotic. Yeah, balls to the wall, pedals yeah. to the metal. And Wyatt, this next scene, which I've labeled Nathan Lane is the funniest person alive, I, I assume that's what you were referring to as your favorite yeah, sequence. Yeah, this Do is you my, my favorite sequence overview in the movie. Of so at this point, Joaquin Phoenix wakes up and uh, Holly Flax of Office fame, who I, of course, don't know the actress's name off the top of my head. Wait, I got it. 
Uh, I should know this. Biggest office fan. Amy of Ryan. Ryan. Amy Ryan. Uh, he wakes up, and Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane, a married couple, are uh, taking care of him. Uh, he is in their teenage daughter's bedroom, as seen by the many a, like a K-pop poster on the on the walls around him. And so this whole sequence is him being nursed back to health by the funniest group of people imaginable. <laughs> Amy or Amy Ryan's character, the mom, is obsessed with, well, not obsessed with, but just like in serious mourning over her dead perfect son who died in Venezuela. Did he Ooh. die in Venezuela? Yeah, they keep talking about Caracas. That's uh, the capital of Venezuela. Oh, I feel very silly for not knowing that, but um, I, that was not a way. Uh, I was like, did they make up a, a location for this <laughs> movie? <laughs> this man did not have to go through the high school Spanish capital song. <laughs> Negative. But so in this whole bit, he's being nursed back to health. Meanwhile, the daughter of the family is the most ridiculous character <laughs> in this whole movie. She hates him. She is just like bullying the shit out of this guy. And then there's also uh, Jeeves is introduced in this bit. And Jeeves, Jeeves. Jeeves is like a, a dude suffering from some serious PTSD who served with the couple's son in Venezuela. So they're both there. Nathan Lane's character is a surgeon. So all of this is like technically for everybody's well-being. He's taking care of them. He's just the goofiest guy <laughs> of all time. He talks just so odd. <laughs> like... Like, no human has ever talked before. <laughs> like, I, there's so many different scenes in this, in this section of the movie that, like, would have been standout quotes in any other movie, but he just keeps hitting you with them yeah. to the point where it's like, I can't remember all this shit. Um, <laughs> because it's all so ridiculous. The best part about this sequence is there's this, like, running bit. It killed, we saw this with, like, a wide variety of people. My girlfriend, Ju- uh, Juliet, was there, too. That killed her more than anybody is that Jeeves will just be running at full speed in the <laughs> he background. Just, he sprints of any given shot, yeah. literally any shot. If there's a wide shot, that dude is hauling ass somewhere. He's rolling down hills. Yep. He punches open the the window of his trailer as if he's throwing a grenade in there. Like he's he'll reenact whole live battle sequences just out there. Uh, and it's always just in the background. Like it's not yeah, the point of the scene. <laughs> It's so fucking funny. So funny. And as the sequence goes further and further on, you can tell that things are not exactly perfect. Not as they seem. Uh, And the daughter keeps acting just odder and odder and odder. As in more odd. (laughs) Weird sea mammal type. (laughs) Yeah. As in more odd. Not like like (laughs) the aquatic guy. But uh, it's pretty. It's pretty goofy. All, all otters are guys. <laughs> oh, do you know otters hold hands so they don't fall asleep and yeah. float apart? They also have favorite rocks that they'll live or they'll hold on to for their lives. Otter fact. <laughs> do you got any more animal facts while around this? I have stamps with baby otters on them. Actually, I did my taxes today and sent them out late. <laughs> but you guys want a weird animal fact, please. Did you know that dolphins are the only other creatures besides humans that have sex for pleasure? That's huge. Thought you should know. That's Is that why, true? That's why if yeah. we die, dolphins will take over the world. They're really smart. Yeah. Dude, monkeys definitely have sex for pleasure. Apparently, they like, they'll jack off in the zoo. Well, they... <laughs> me too, but you don't see me talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> But mommy, what's that tall man doing in the corner? <laughs> but I don't know. I, 
That's a really good bit. Good joke. Uh, um, it's a true fact. You can look this up. I don't know. <laughs> um, because there's a downside that comes with that that's only like apparent in the dolphin community. Um, <laughs> are you a part of that? <laughs> the dolphin community? Yeah. Nah. Uh, Either way, what are y'all's what thoughts? This movie? What are y'all's thoughts on the Nathan Lane is a goofy dude who just wants to grail sequence? <laughs> It was really funny. This, this was like the most comedic section yeah. of the movie, I would say. It's giving so, comedy. It's <laughs> God. <laughs> um, so it it was very light and enjoyable for the most part. Shot but, shot like midsummer, like very a lot more like midsummer. Colorful. Yeah, the house is gorgeous. And you're right. There are a lot of tonal shifts throughout the movie, and this was probably the biggest jump, which made me realized that I was really in for a reaching kind of directorial viewpoint of this movie mm-hmm. where, you know, Ari Aster was trying to do something really different and show us like uh variance through the movie, even in just in different sections of the movie, there's going to be a lot of variance. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I think the most important thing here is that, this sequence is like when you start to find out that things are not what they seem. Yeah. He clearly has a very strange relationship with his mother. I mean, he's going to therapy and we've gotten some bits and pieces of his mother is clearly the source of a lot of his anxiety and his problems. And you even hear some of that on the phone when he explains like, Hey, this stuff happened. I going to miss the flight, but like I I'm trying to get to you. And his mother just seems like not just upset, but almost like she expected this to happen because her son doesn't love her actually or something like that. It's it's played pretty subtly, but you can tell there's something going on here where like the mother is clearly not very nice to him. Also worth noting, now that we're in the spoiler section, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen this movie yet, at this point in the movie, Mona Wasserman, uh, Bo's mom is dead. Chandelier fell on her dome. Yeah, we find that out in this yeah. scene. It's said multiple times that her head is everywhere and detached from her body. They, that bit, the phone call bit, was yeah. so good. Bill Hader cameo is incredible. I, I can't believe they got Bill Hader for this scene. <laughs> but there's, like, in the actual scene where Bo finds out, he calls his mom, and she doesn't answer, but someone else does, and the dude's like, oh, fuck, I'm you. I'm just a UPS driver. And there's a, there's a body without a head. Who could this be? And but I was like, this is my mom's phone. And he's like, well, you probably misdialed. <laughs> Call your mom again. And so there's like a two-second pause, and he calls, and Bill Hader just goes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is such a good bit. That's anyway, great. back on track. But yeah, uh, apparently it's custom in Jewish tradition to bury your dead as soon as possible. And we get another phone call. From Bo. Uh, what is this actor's name? I recognize him from so many things, but I cannot remember his name. Richard Kind uh, has a very recognizable voice, and I knew it was him immediately when he picked up the phone. But apparently he's his mother's attorney, and he's like really laying into Bo, like, what the hell, man? Your mother's dead. You got to get here. Is that the dude that was in the Coliseum? With the yes. Right, yeah. yeah. It's th- This call with Richard Kind's character really just like starts to amplify the anxiety that Bo is feeling because he's just trying to get to his mother and he's got wounds to heal from. He got stabbed by uh happy birthday, birthday stabman. 
<laughs> I, I like to think that Stabman is his last name. <laughs> Not Stabman, but born Stabman. for the role. Yeah. Amadev Determinism strikes again. But now he has to get there even sooner because there are all of these other forces. It's not just his mom that is like, hey, come see me or I'll make you feel guilty. It's like now he's betraying his own customs if he doesn't get there immediately. And I guess his mom wrote into the will that he had to be present for her burial, which, I mean, this is spoiler, so we can talk. Do we think that she did that because she wanted to find she wanted him to find out that she was not dead like i'm trying to parse together why that was so specifically a part of her yeah, will that was what i was going to mention is that i thought that it was a little bit strange at the time but i thought that it was almost like a just writing oversight that they hadn't considered that it it would be a very strange thing to put in your will hey I need my whole family to be there before they put me in the ground. And that's something that she does is like, Bo needs to be there. But why would she have assumed in her will at the time of writing that he wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. there? Like, it's very odd. And in hindsight, it's probably because she knew exactly what was going to happen. And so she put it in there or just, we find later that the attorney is in on the whole thing. So, Mm -hmm. She probably just told him to say yeah. that. I just yeah, I've got a great thing about that. Continue. I just assumed it was a test of Bo. Like she wanted mm-hmm. to see how he'd respond oh, that's in that fair. situation. If he did actually care about her or if he could like face his fears to get there. I think it was just her saying, all right, here's an awful scenario. How do you respond? And is it is it Holly Flax that mentions like you're in a test right now? Yeah, she's like Channel 78. Uh, stop incriminating yourself. Like yeah, yeah. So so very notably, Brett mentioned like maybe this attorney's in on it. He certainly is. Um, so is Nathan, and Wood. so is so are a lot of people in Bo's life. They are all just in this big scheme that his mother has for him. I don't know yeah, if you guys they're noticed employees of the company. That I don't know has. if you guys noticed the in logo. the final scene. Uh, not the logo. I'll have to ask you about that. Um, cause I don't know, what, I don't know what you're referring to when he's walking down that line, like the timeline that she has in her house. And the last thing is like the headshot of her with all of the employees. You can actually see Nathan Lane on there, which is like one of the big pieces that made me realize like, Oh, all of this is being orchestrated by the mother. And we don't even know that she's alive at that point. Oh, so th- this will tie into that and like mm-hmm. be considerate of it on your rewatch. That MW logo, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? The red and white appears like literally everywhere throughout the film. In the house? Like, or just oh, throughout the whole no, movie? The whole movie. Oh, like, interesting. Everything ties back to that. It's in the production credits. It's like before <laughs> the A24 like, screen shows up, there's mm-hmm. an MW credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it appears in the TVs. It, like everything is done through them. The cameras that show. Interesting. Bo, like it's, it's all clearly tied together. Good catch. Yeah. I'm on, the, I'm on my <laughs> shit. Yeah. I did not see Holly Flax there. I keep forgetting her name. I know her as Holly Flax. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan. I didn't Ryan. see Amy Ryan on that photo. It's at least implied by the two of them that they have separate jobs. And it's very clear she does not seem to support this. She seems to be just a very kind, caring person. Because at one point, like Wyatt mentioned, she whispers in Bo's ear like, hey, Stop incriminating yourself. And she shows him he's being recorded. 
and is just trying to like make him aware of everything that's going on to no great effect. <laughs> Bo can't figure it out, neither can we. But yeah, I I don't know if she was in on it or if she just knew because like she's in relation there. In the same way, I also don't think the daughter was in on it. I think she was just a piece of shit and was adding to Bo's anxiety. There's an awesome scene where she <laughs> lies and is like, "Hey, my dad told me to, that I'm going to drive you." Uh cuz he's trying to get he's trying to get to his mother. Yeah. <laughs> And she just, like, has her friend with her. And this is the scene that uh, one of you mentioned is hilarious, but also, like, deeply anxiety-inducing, where they're like, we're not driving you unless you smoke this. And this this isn't even going to translate in this moment, but I think the hardest that I laughed (laughs) was when Bo asked, what's in this? And the, the daughter responds, it's three things. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. Can they just, kill me? Yeah. Just the, the idea of it's three things and you get no more information <laughs> really, really killed me for some reason. And we can see Bo's perspective warp as like seconds pass. Meanwhile, the two girls in the front of this car are hitting this thing and driving a yeah. minivan. Yeah, they're real ones for the way that they just toke that thing. Yeah, this is like the first like real trippy sequence and rightly so Bo is now high as shit <laughs> but yeah it's insane that the two of them are apparently smoking the same three things and are fine and driving on the influence let's go mm-hmm. Huge. and this is the second most insane scene between the two of those characters because the nathan lane is a funny guy sequence ends with the weirdest scene ever uh which i'll say like nine more times as we move through <laughs> this movie uh in which the the daughter and Bo break into the the son's the the deceased son's room that everybody's like locked out of mm-hmm. and she has like a breakdown wants to paint the walls pink she frames Bo by painting his name on top of all the student i think his name's nathan on top of all of his uh, like accomplishments and awards from the military uh and then she's like I'm getting fucked up and you're doing it with me. And I was like, nah, I'm good. No, like I've you. had, I've had my fair share. And then this girl's like, we're drinking this paint. And then she and drinks like, no, please. And then she just drinks a bunch of blue paint and fucking dies. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Can you get high from drinking paint? You can huff paint. I know you can huff paint. I don't think drinking paint's good for you. I'm just trying to determine whether that was an act of suicide or if she actually was just trying to get fucked up and died. It's not something I think you could really rationalize because none of it makes very much sense. One second. I'll research. I I think there's a lot going on here visually, actually, that I don't quite understand. Yeah, a lot of blue, a lot of pink. Yeah, it, it will like, yeah, the scene is defined by the blue and pink colors that are happening because there's pink all over the walls mixed with blue and she drinks the blue paint, and when Holly Flax comes in to try to, like, fix the situation, she tries to resuscitate her daughter, and now she has, like, blue all over her, like, in a very mm-hmm. intentional way. And I don't know what it means, but it was very interesting to look at. Yeah, and the whole, like, the daughter is clearly <laughs> so resentful of Bo for taking over her life and sort of filling in as this adopted son which is hilarious because um, he's there for like a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think it's kind of implying that she knows 
her parents' intentions would be in this scenario to, like, they're so desperate to have their son back that they're almost, like, looking for a surrogate son. <laughs> and she hates him for it. She keeps trying to sick Jeeves on him, which is important because where the scene really ends is Holly Flax runs into the room because she hears this screaming of Bo trying to... <laughs> Get her daughter to not drink paint because you shouldn't do that. I looked it up. You just your body can't absorb that much oil, so you just like shit relentlessly, but you wouldn't get high. <laughs> I'd call that pretty fucked up if she was trying to get fucked up. But Ollie Flax runs into the room and it is made to look like Bo has killed her by dumping paint down her gullet. <laughs> what a way to go. And after trying to resuscitate her, she's like, You did this to my my daughter. And then she six Jeeves on him. <laughs> and one of the most batshit insane chase sequences, which is like cut short but resumed later, where Bo just runs away and Jeeves straps on all of his ex-military gear and just sprints into the forest. And Bo hits his nog on a branch in the forest and passes out. And that's our second fade to black in this movie. Yeah, so the, the third sequence starts. And I'm going to be honest. About 60% of this sequence is metaphorical, I think, and I, it's one of the few bits that I've like yet to really figure out an answer for. <laughs> He's wandering through the forest, and he meets this forest woman who's singing and walking with a lantern, uh, and she walks him back, and they have this like stage production going on, and she identifies themselves as forest people that travel the world's Forests, forest orphans, forest orphans. They're yeah. all orphans, and they orphans. travel the, <laughs> they travel the world's forests and put on plays. Yeah, they're very nomadic hippie types. Yeah. Oh, also worth noting at one point, Nathan Lane mentions like you don't want to miss the show. Did you catch that? Don't remember. Yeah, at one point Nathan Lane was like, "You can't go. Like you don't want to miss the show," and I think that could mean a few things. I mean, like, he's being recorded. He kind of is the show. But alternatively, if, like we think, all of this has been arranged by his mother, it's entirely possible that he was meant to find those forest people to end up at this show, which is just wild to think about. I don't know how logistically how she could have arranged that. but I don't know if we can talk about logistics in a movie such as this. <laughs> That's this, fair. This bit of the movie is pretty ridiculous because it transitions to like, like once the, the, the play begins, um, they talk about blurring the lines between audience and cast of the play. And it's very quick within like a minute or two that Bo is thrown in as the main character and gone is the stage. And instead you're in this like fully immersive cartoon world. It's like almost 30 minutes. Yeah. I it's think. Like a oddly long part of the movie and it's like fully narrated. Like there's not, speaking lines in it it's got this like little whimsical narrator that goes along and i don't know what the fuck the story's supposed to be like i I get the whole premise but i don't know what it ties back into at all like if it's supposed to be Bo's journey yeah because there's like the whole bit throughout the movie about the second you finish you die type deal you can't have kids yeah and so then you can't have kids and there's kids and that's a whole <laughs> we, we should talk about that blue. a little bit more about what what to clarify, because it, yeah, that's, I think it might be confusing if you yeah. just brush past that. That, that gets first brought up in the last sequence. Yeah. It, it is established that there is like this generational curse with Bo's family for the men that every single man marries 
comes <laughs> on on the wedding night impregnates the wife and then he dies like, his father spot, his yeah. grandfather his great grandfather this has happened to all of them because they all have this this sexually activated heart murmur yeah the fact the the act of finishing kills them yeah as described in this like horrifyingly graphic scene in which Bo's mother details yeah Bo's conception to him uh, it's just another thing that like adds to Bo's anxiety yeah. and like feeling like an outcast. Like That's... he he can't have sex, and if he does, he will die. <laughs> so it's just one more piece. But yeah, he, in the story that they tell here, the play, he has three kids, and it's all this journey of him losing his children and like trying to get back to them. But he loses his wife, and I'm trying to like go through this out loud in hopes that something will click in my head for how they relate. Yeah. There's like old Bo too, who shows up mm-hmm. like they break from the, the play world when like play Bo shows up at another play within the play. And there's three sons who are listening to it. And it's like the kids Bo has been looking yeah. for the whole time. That's not really Bo. That's old Bo. who has been looking. And so it just, I've got, like, this is, like, one of the parts of the movie where I'm, like, okay, you can be confusing. You can be allegorical. Mm-hmm. Give me something to tie it back to. <laughs> that was 20 minutes of the time where I was, like, like for a minute or two, I was, like, haha, what the fuck is going on? But then for, like, 18 more minutes, I was, like, genuinely, this is, like, it's pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. But this is a waste of 18 minutes. This There is nothing in the third sequence of this movie outside of how it ends that I thought the movie benefited by including, you could have cut this whole bit and I would have think that I think the movie would have been better off for it. I I have to just assume that there's something that we're missing here. I did really enjoy it. So I don't like hate its inclusion, but if one of your biggest flaws with this movie is it's too long and you don't really understand this. And if your belief is it doesn't actually relate to anything at all, this should certainly be cut. Again, I give Ari Aster the benefit of the doubt and have to assume that I, I there's mean, something here to pull out. So audience, if, if you have an answer as to what any of this means, please share it with us. I do think there is. I mean, there's bound to be, mm-hmm. there's nothing that's thrown in any of his movies for no reason. I'm just saying that you can only cloud the reason so much before it becomes like we are educated and informed moviegoers. Not that I think that that makes us higher and mightier than any person who may not. It does uh, know the whole backstory of Ari Aster's uh, film log. But I mean, you say you've said a lot throughout this about, well, I I assume and I'm giving him credit and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I mean, you can, but also at the same time, a director shouldn't, put forth a movie that's like okay you need to see this three times to fully understand what i'm going i mean you can it's your art you can decide what to do with it i just think that's an odd way to go about things and so to have to repeatedly say well i didn't understand it but like i think that if it's framed in a way that like a person explains it for me and then it will make sense like i think that the beauty in some things that are left cloudy like that is that you can take multiple interpretations from it i don't feel like there's (laughs) You don't even have one. I don't. I don't, I don't have either. anything here. Yeah. yeah, where I'm like, oh, this is what this could have meant. If I had to take a, a stab at it, <laughs> if I could be a happy birthday, stab man, <laughs> please for a moment, stab man. I would 
guess if I had to throw a dart at the wall, this is an interpretation of what Bo's life could have been like if he was like, quote unquote, a normal person. It's a commentary on like, you know, the human existence, you know, um, or the human condition. Uh, like a an adventurous life that like every man is entitled to potentially live with that being said whether that's right or wrong i don't know it was a low light of the movie for me just because it it like it took too big of a step away from like the absurdity that i was enjoying up until that point to become like also like the plot (laughs) yeah the entire plot to become like an artistic expression that was very highbrow that i didn't understand Mm -hmm. like I enjoyed the big swing that Ari Aster is taking with it. And like, I, I don't have, I think as negative, as negative as an opinion as why it has about it. But if I had to pick one, if we were doing like worst scene, best scene, this would fall on my worst scene. Mm -hmm. I did still really enjoy this scene just because it's so unique in its visual storytelling. It's very aesthetic and beautiful. Um, So like, I did still enjoy it. Brett, if your take is right, which I, don't really have a strong enough opinion to say it's right or wrong. Uh, it's worth noting if that this is like the happier ending or like what he is actually looking for. It's still not happy. Like he spends his entire life searching for something and he still loses his wife in the end. Yeah, if your best possible outcome is getting swept up in a flood and deposited <laughs> in another country... Like that's you and then gotta, wandering the earth for seventy years. Yeah, you got to re-roll those dice. You got to just call for a, yeah. a respawn on that one. It's a tough break. Some would yeah. say life is painful meaninglessness. Oh, that <laughs> reminds me. Uh, there's a very very hello. <laughs> there's a very good quote that I wrote down from this scene. I need another quote to put on my arm. So if oh, it's let's really get good. it. I I don't know if this is arm worthy, but it is really relevant to just what Bo is experiencing. There is, as they're walking into this scene and he's experienced, like first meeting all of these play people. Also, did someone, did I hear someone say, hey, that's Ari Aster? Was he in that scene? Lee's yeah, uh, Colleen said that. I'm not confirmed that that's Ari Aster. Okay, I, trust I know what their, Ari Aster looks like, but I didn't see him. But I everyone's in costume. Notes. So regardless, they talk to this guy briefly and he says, uh, when sorrows come, they come in battalions, which I think is just maybe half profound, but at least relevant enough. Like this guy doesn't know what Bo's been experiencing his entire life. Like his whole life has just been anxiety and pain because of his mother. And it's like, it feels pretty real. Like when the hard times come, it feels like they just keep coming one after the other. And there, there can be no escape from that. And that, I, I feel like that's really exemplative of like what anxiety feels like in just like you kind of focus on all the bad stuff and you get so <laughs> fixated on that, on those sorrows coming in battalions that he mentions that it can just feel so overwhelming. So I did like that little piece. But it is broken but, up in the end by one Jeeves running into yes. the scene insane guns literally blazing he starts exploding and shooting up the the play scene yeah it's broken up you can hear the there's like a beep tracker on <laughs> wiki and phoenix's like ankle bracelet mm-hmm. that nathan lane claims is a health monitor but that's obviously a lie it's a, 
It's an ankle <laughs> bracelet. Uh, so we can track them and you can hear the beeping getting closer and closer. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, here comes that guy. There's like two seconds of silence. And then a, a knife just gets whipped into the chest of one of the actors the on poor stage. actor who, who is not a threat. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there's like, the, she's just, <laughs> he hates theater. There's like the whole, like, oh, has this dude in the crowd who like looked vaguely like old Hitler. Um, who repeatedly was like, maybe Bo's dad, maybe not Bo's he dad. He claims to have yeah. worked for Bo's father and was on Bo's mother's payroll to take care of his father, which both seems to think that it's his father and even tells that to his mother. But I actually think I might believe random yeah. man. Well, you won't just ask him because he I immediately won't. fucking blows up. <laughs> he does up get blown up. In a scene that made me literally jump from my seat. The one time that I was actually very scared. Oh, really? That was the scene? That got me. Yeah, he... I mean, we we find out this penis curse that he's got isn't real. I mean, he has sex at the end of the movie and does not immediately die. Well, so I think I mean, it's, it's, that's still a cursed peen if I've ever seen one. That's fair. But he doesn't die. And I feel like that would then imply his father likely didn't die the same way. Uh, we were speculating in our car that it's whoever is on top during the act of sex is the one who dies. Interesting. Because that might she have distinctly... Kind of power dynamic situation. I don't know. Either way. Uh, His wiener is pretty evil. Yeah. Um, evil ween. But it's entirely possible his father is not dead, and it's been made very clear his mother has paid a lot of people in Bo's life to keep this a secret from him. I think that that might be possible, but like why I said, regardless, he gets blown up, and she's chasing him through the woods, chases him through the woods, and uh, is shooting him. How does he? How does he fade to black in this scene? Does he? He. I think there is no fade to black in this one. He ends up running through the woods. The next like morning ish, he hitchhikes to go see his mom. Yes, that feels right. There's the part where Jeeves like shoots himself in the shoulder like seventy oh, times. That was insane. Um, also worth noting. Oh, oh, oh! As Jeeves is shooting himself in the shoulder because he fell on his gun. Yes, he hits the the button oh, on right. the ankle it bracelet. Says inca- incapacitate. Yes, and yeah. so it blows up on his ankle and knocks him out. Yeah, and then we fade to black. Uh, noted funny scene is the dude who's doing the sound for the play has this like large rainbow drum. <laughs> the second the, the <laughs> shots get fired. This dude pulls a nine out of the, out of the like sound drum, and, and he's in goes, a ladybug costume. Yeah. <laughs> when and that just dude runs straight into action, when that dude started talking, have either of you seen Brooklyn Nine Nine? No, uh, uh, I have seen a little bit. Yeah. He sounds his voice sounded just like the captain from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, I was like, is that like I thought it was like another Bill Hader bit, where I was like, are they just like pulling random like comedy actors, <laughs> and just like having him do one? Line? Yeah, uh, I had a thought about the rainbow drum that he's like whirring. I almost wonder if that's some type of like method of putting you into a trance like it, it's like this whirring like droning sound maybe it's like what added to Bo's hallucination but we don't see anyone else in the crowd going through that so i don't know have you guys ever been hypnotized i do not think i would be susceptible what about it's you a pretentious take uh, it is <laughs> i would love to attempt i would love for someone to attempt to hypnotize me that just made me think about it, and I've never had the opportunity. I would like to point out, I think I would be incredibly susceptible to, <laughs> <laughs> to being hypnotized. So I, we should 
uh, Last of the Moon Boys go out and get hypnotized. We got boxing and hypnotism on the on the YouTube sheet. There we go. When are we having our weigh in? We have to get really close, like nose to nose, and people will be like, "Will they kiss? Will they?" <laughs> and they no. will. <laughs> and they will. We will fight. That that'll be the first boxing weigh in where they just. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how make that we louder it for the audio <laughs> listeners. Um, I don't like what you do with your eyes there. Stop that. That's like really hard to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so practiced. We end up. <laughs> we end up in uh, wherever I forget what it's called. Yeah, so he, he hitchhikes to his mother's house, Wasserton. Right, Wasserton, wherever that They're is. They're the Wassermans in Wasserton. Something yeah, tells me the town is. Yeah, there's some kind of play them. on there yeah. that I, I don't totally mm-hmm. get. I think that is because her his mom is incredibly influential yeah. and like a part of the community. You know, my, you know, my grandparents live on McCracken Road. I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, my grandparents are next door neighbors with uh, former NBA player Paul Pierce in Florida. I don't know who that is. Played on the Celtics. All right. You could say shut up the villages, Florida. You that could have was... said anything, and I would have believed you. <laughs> Good, because that was a complete lie. Okay, I just felt the need to say something about my grandparents. All right. yeah. You were just like Bo's mother, gaslight like queen. I'm Patty Lupone, bitch. Uh, Patty Lupone. Patty Lupone. Patty Lupone. Um, Italian last yeah, name. Yeah, he shows I up. Mispronounced it on Patty Lupone's house. <laughs> you got to get one Italian slide in there. Finds out that the funeral is over. He has missed it. And he walks into his mother's abandoned house, which is quite possibly the most beautiful home I've ever seen. It's insane. Uh, And he just lays down, and he's had a long day, a long many days, so he just passes out. Great set piece overall, by the way. And that's when we see a few more little bits and pieces, like Nathan Lane on on that painting and a few other things. But we have not mentioned at all... And the, it's very important for this scene. The fifth bit of this movie. Yeah, the fifth bit, which is kind of interwoven throughout the story. In the, the first sequence, Bo looks in his nightstand and sees this photo of like a teenage girl in a bathing suit. And I was like, that's kind of weird. But we find out this is from a cruise that he and his mother went on as a child. And he meets this girl and... The two, I guess, fall in love in like a few days, and they talk about how they've never had sex, but they they're promise like twelve. They're also like twelve Which or thirteen. Is good, yeah. they shouldn't. <laughs> but they're like, "Hey, wait for me," and she writes that on the picture of herself that she gives to him. And Bo's been waiting this whole time. He's waiting to have sex for her because I guess he's never found anyone else that is willing to look past all of his laws in the same way that she was as a 13 year old girl and also worth noting in the second sequence they are interviewing on the news some people about his mother's death and she's one of the people that they interview (laughs) and he pukes because he's like how is that even possible like how does she know my mother even but he falls asleep and wakes up and there she is she's an adult just like him and they reconnect very quickly and, and fuck. And they fuck. They fuck. In a really funny scene in which she restarts <laughs> Maybe my a favorite scene of the movie. She restarts a song halfway through because she just can't really get into it. You know she what can't. song that is? Uh, I didn't. I, I knew it. It's always be my baby. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew the name. I Great needle know the, drop. The name of the song, but it definitely was familiar. <laughs> it was. Yeah. 
it's already a really funny song to choose to have sex for the first time to. It's also, I don't. I, she I doubt, did not imply I it was doubt, her first time. I yeah. doubt it was her first time. But yeah, it's like already funny enough. And then she restarts it and we just listen to the whole <laughs> song again. Uh, it's a great song. I didn't mind. The whole um, bit, Joaquin Phoenix is like losing his mind because he's like, oh, wait, I'm going to die. Yeah. And so he's like dealing equal parts. Hey, this is a pleasant experience. And also, I'm going to die. So he's just kind of like doing that thing he does like 90% of the movie where he just kind of huffs and wheezes. Yeah. Some of that. Yeah. It's me when I come. Hey, I'm not high fiving that. Woo! My parents listen down. to this podcast. Yeah. I've never come. Yeah. <laughs> I've never come. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also not high fiving that. That's not healthy. That's true. I come every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great high five. You just fart. No. <laughs> I heard something down I think, there. I think I moved my hand on the table. Mm. If I farted, I'd own up to it because I want everybody Fair to Fair enough. But yeah, he doesn't die. This poor woman is like, hold on. You just finished. Let me. Wait. <laughs> he finishes and she's like, that was a lot. You just burst through that bag. I was like, what? Holy hell, this guy's got like 40 years of backup that just all came through at once. Well, there's like um, repeated jokes about it in yeah. the whole Nathan Lane where he's like, there's something wrong with those. <laughs> yeah, but she's like, hey, it's my turn. And then when she finishes, she not only dies, but like gets frozen in her finishing position. Her uh, eyes like go red and gross. Yeah, which is like deeply traumatizing. But yeah, the second she dies, the movie just takes a wild turn once again because it is revealed for the first time that the mother is not actually dead. She's like, I was watching that, which is so strange. And she I would seemed imagine well adjusted until that moment. Yeah, and I thought she might be a weird woman. <laughs> I would imagine that is very hurtful to fake your death, and your son honors that by having sex on your bed but the whole time like she's just like playing the victim and Bo makes it very clear anytime he doesn't do exactly what she wants he is made to feel in the wrong and bad about it <clears throat> which i think might also be a part of what anxiety is like it's it's equal parts her abusing him in this way likely has caused his anxiety but also, it's it's kind of like what anxiety is in that, like, it, you kind of interpret a lot of things as attacks on yourself. Like, his mother is clearly very anxious as well. Like, she's very attached to her son in an unhealthy way and interprets everything as an attack on her. Anytime he doesn't do her bidding, it's an attack on her. Yeah. And it's like anxiety can be cyclical in that way. I took this part. The, her like monologues and their interactions as a commentary on like problematic motherhood, mm -hmm. which is an, another central theme through the movie, but yeah. it shines through at this part where, uh, you know, an overbearing mother's love can actually be very abusive where she tends to think that she is the hero of the story, but in fact is, has been causing all of this harm and, refuses to believe or understand that she could be uh, in any sense the the harm in the first place mm -hmm. and 
I think one of my big takeaways from this movie is every time, like I, I was thinking a lot, even after like it was revealed that the mother was alive and she's orchestrated all this. I was thinking a lot on what Holly Flax could have meant by like, don't implicate yourself. Like what, what was he doing in that moment that was implicating himself? And then I was thinking more about the trial that we'll get to here in a second and like what he is on trial for almost almost every instance that he is quote in the wrong in the eyes of his mother are just instances where he's standing up for himself yeah. and like being a person and like trying to do his own thing and when i had that realization i was like is what is ari aster trying to say about this like it doesn't work out for him. Every time he tries to do his own thing, he just gets hurt worse. And so I'm left kind of still a little bit perplexed by that. I think maybe the whole point is like, look at look at the pain that not being able to do your own thing and look at the pain that having this overbearing presence in your life, all of these things that Bo is experiencing and not able to do with his life. Look at the pain of like what not being allowed to be intimate with people can, can do to you. It ultimately does not work out for him. And I, I my, my thoughts now, we'll see if these change are, Ari is saying like, <laughs> obviously metaphorically, it's like a lot of shit, a lot of bad stuff can happen to you if you are not, able to be your own person and follow your own passions and that sort of thing yeah fortunately for you boys who are very tired we are now at the end of this movie it ends with this big trial he you're just gonna skip past it <laughs> huh you're gonna skip past oh i suppose i can't skip past Cock what is maybe the most memorable part of this scene his mother but Bo this whole time has been like having this recurring dream where he gets sent up into the attic. It's like a hereditary ass scene. Yes. Like the whole time I was like the way it's shot. Yeah. yeah. And also hereditary just loves the attic too. Yeah. Uh, do one of you want to <laughs> explain what the hell happened? I so, don't. <laughs> I think that so Bo gets thrown up the stairs. First off, there's like other Bo in there. There's a line there. Maybe a twin brother. Well, that's what I was gonna no. say. It's implied that like it's he Bo. was a twin. I thought, because she's like, this isn't a dream, you fucking idiot. This is real. She I thought it was it's like, a memory. Or it's a memory. I thought, like, Bo was maybe, like, up there the whole time. And, like, maybe Bo hadn't met anywhere else. I don't know. I thought the implication was but what he was seeing originally with himself going up into the attic was a memory of him watching his brother, brother okay. be sent mm, up to the attic. I think you're probably right. Also, there's that one dream that they do that where they just are speaking like bird calls. What? Um, I love a bird call. But so they get up there and you can tell there's about to be some sort of big reveal. Bo's fumbling with this flashlight. He spins around. The first thing you see is like mangled little tiny bow bow twin. And then the flashlight pans over to the other corner and she's like, that's your father. And this is like a literal giant penis monster. <laughs> it's a giant penis like, monster. Like, it is huge. It is, like, at this point in the movie, this kind of got, like, a what the fuck for yeah. me. Like, it was, like, at this point, I was like, okay, I've had enough of hooliganism and shenaniganery. I kind of wanted 
a little bit more of a payoff Some here. closure. Yeah, <laughs> but like this is literally a giant penis monster. It has spindles uh, because, of course... Great word, spindles. Of course, Jeeves comes back. Fresh out del- dead already. I don't know. Yeah, Fresh out was shooting himself a billion times. And he comes breaking through the glass, as he always does. Then he gets impaled by the penis spindle. And he's dead. <laughs> Not the penis spindle. And they're like... He's referred to as Frank because when that woman dies, the Patty Lupone's character is like tells the help, "Hey, go feed the body to Frank," which would imply that this giant penis eats people. I do. Um, I mean, and, what else is a giant penis to do? Nice. And so it's just like the weirdest bit of all time because it's like very. There's no like, oh, that looks like a penis. Like it is. Yeah. It is distinctly one, and. She's like, Very that's large. your father. And I'm like, was he like that the whole time? Did he become this way? What is going on? Because if he was that way the whole time, I have so many questions <laughs> about the reproductive process uh, involved. With I do Bo. just in general. Um, I don't know how any of that works. <laughs> uh, but either way, it was just the wonky payoff that was right before this final scene that Bryce was talking about. Yeah, I've got no answers currently for that. I don't know if I ever will, but... Uh, maybe I'll get back to you. Yeah, that's for like you to figure out, some audience. Some commentary on masculinity that makes like little to no sense, <laughs> is my guess. Um, but yeah, he he runs away from that scene and hops in a boat and rides this boat off into the, the pretty starry sky. And the boat breaks down and all of a sudden Bo is just in this arena. And we get this very wild scene where Bo is on trial. And he's surrounded by a whole crowd in this arena. It's like almost like the Parthenon. And on one side, you have Bo's defense, who's like implied like a really shitty public defender. And then on the other side, you have his mother and his mother's attorney, who we've already met. And they have this just wealth of evidence. And they show all of this evidence on a screen that's above Bo's head in the water. And it's all of these instances where Bo is complaining about his mother and how the love that she, in in her opinion, the love that she had for him wasn't enough and he's ungrateful and doesn't care for her. Uh, it, we find out a little bit earlier on that the therapist is also on the mother's payroll, so he's there and all of their therapy sessions are now being used as evidence. The, the mother and her attorney are on this big stage and they're well lit and their voices are being amplified and Bo's defense is being heard from way far off. They haven't amplified his voice. You can't even really see him. I think he's thrown onto a rock. Yeah. Uh, he literally gets murdered. Brett, Colleen said something else very profound about this scene. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, Colleen... If not, we can ask them to come uh, in. Upon seeing the scene... Just was like, this is genius. And I tend to agree. The implication that they took was that the gaslighting of Bo and his relationship to his mother, these supposed crimes that he's committed, are being amplified in the way that the prosecution is being amplified. And society is standing by watching. And they seem to be on the side of, you know, Bo being this assailant in, mm-hmm. in this relationship, he's guilty of these things that they are uh, accusing him of. And meanwhile, the 
defense, which is the only sane voice in the room, it seems, is minuscule. You can't even hear it, and nobody's paying attention to it, and the system in place hasn't given him the uh, the defense, the requirements to even be heard in the first place. Like Every card is stacked against Bo, and I think that that is what Colleen was seeing. Is, is like, this is really smart filmmaking, and, and I, like I said, I agree. I think it was a, a really cool way to portray uh, what like the inner workings of what's happening in the way that Bo is being treated by the outside world. Then Bo dies. Bo dies. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Bo. His boat does a little, one more final wiggle, and his feet are now stuck to the boat it's shown, uh, and it flips upside down and wiggles, the boat wiggles a little bit more, and then it just stops wiggling, and credits roll right over the shot of the boat. The audience in the amphitheater, like Parthenon situation, they all clear out, and the movie's just over. And they get up and start leaving as your own lights turn on in yeah. your movie theater, and and you you begin walking out with them is a cool touch. And I I I just I I almost like couldn't get up because I was just so shocked. Like, if you haven't seen this movie, hearing it very poorly described by the three of us it's it's hard to convey the breakneck speed at which this movie just like hits you with all of these insane things and so when those credits roll and you're like wow the movie is over you're a thinking what was that experience and you're b thinking what what does any of that mean and I've I've started to piece together some things. Due to timing reasons, we're recording this podcast before we've really had time to sit on most of it, before we had time for a rewatch or anything. But Before Brett has to get up for work in five hours. Yeah. Is that real? Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. really sad. <laughs> uh, we'll end this quickly. Where was I? What, what was I talking about? Putting um, it together. Yeah. Every, everything. I, I, I just, I was shocked when this movie ended, not because I was surprised that it ended with him dying or anything like that, but there's, there's so much shocking thing, so many shocking things happening here. And then it's just over. I I did not even know how to process it. It was just very overwhelming for me. Uh, Wyatt, as we were leaving mentioned, like, damn Bryce, are you good? Like looking very like complative. I believe was the word that you used. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Like, I'm just, there's so much going on in my head right now where I'm just trying to trying to understand what I just experienced and it, I couldn't. It was funny watching the, the two different groups of folks leave the movie theater and how two different groups of people were processing it. <laughs> because on one hand, there's like the two of y'all and Lean were just pretty quiet on the most part, just like sitting with what happened. Mm-hmm. And then my whole squad was like, that was some crazy that shit. Was crazy. That was fucking crazy, dog. <laughs> yeah. Which I kind of fell more into that camp too, because I could pretend to like, uh, not even pretend. Like I could try and think through that and take away something bigger. I don't think there was anything there that is ever gonna shake me to my core. If that was like the intention, if the feelings at hand didn't, I yeah. doubt the analysis of yeah. those feelings will. I guess we can transition this into like our final thoughts on yeah, the movie, please. Because in in walking out of that movie, I'm like, I'd still like to make it clear that as the person who's being the most critical of the three of us, I still liked this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that Ari Aster has 
genre-defining, decade-defining movies in Midsummer and Hereditary, and he has a good movie in Bo's Afraid. Bo's Afraid is going to be remembered as a movie that's real damn goofy, but I don't think there's anything about this movie that's going to achieve any sort of like higher calling than that, higher like place among uh, movies of its sort, because there's no movies of its sort. Pretty experimental yeah. to compare it to really anything else. It's the 100 gex of movies. <laughs> it's got the people it's for, and it's going to attract absolutely nobody besides the people it's for. Yeah, worth noting, this movie has not made very much money yet. It, yet. I think yeah. it was like three and a half million, and it had a $35 million budget Ooh, over the first that's weekend. That's bad. Which, granted, we saw it the second day it was out, so it's still got time. But yeah. like, this is a hard movie to recommend. To just like the average. There's nobody. Person. There's nobody outside of this room that I would say you should go <laughs> watch this movie. I think you'll enjoy it. Like I said, it's a good movie. It's just I don't know who it's for. I don't know what it's saying. It's funny, and it's chaotic, and it feels like watching like car crash compilations on YouTube. Like, it's a great time, but there's no narrative arc to this. Like. There is one. It's loose and I don't think that well put together. I left the movie theater happy that I made the choice to go see it. It is one of the movies that I've been the least impressed with when it comes to A24 movies. Wow. Um, some, you've seen Tusk? There's well, some I mean, bad yeah, there's movies. bad ones, but they're all from like pre-2016. I mean, recently. The, the body of work recently has been strong, and I feel like this is a step away from that. You're bouncing like crazy. Uh, it looks like you're like getting ready to return a serve or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, that's my final takeaway. Good movie. Uh, I'm not going to think about this for end of the year awards consideration, I don't think. Uh, this is no shot that this is cracking my top 10. I think if I made my list of movies that I've seen so far this year in 2023, it probably wouldn't be top five. That's insane. And I've seen like 12 <laughs> movies this year. <laughs> that's why it's insane. Um, But it's fine. I'm going to go next. This movie is awesome. Number one of the year so far. Don't know if it's Ari Aster's best movie yet. Are you? Would you consider that like it could be? Uh, if I rewatch this movie and things really connect with me, and I have an even more like the intense feelings that I was already having watching this movie are just amplified by an understanding of this movie. Absolutely, I think That's it could be crazy. This movie is awesome. It's very funny. It's very tonally unique. All of the cinematic things here on display are exceptional. The plot could be very hard to get through for a lot of people. It's hard to watch, and the movie does not really hold your hand at any point. If you don't need that in a movie, or if the metaphorical, we're not going to explain a lot of this to you, aspects of a movie or something that you enjoy, like myself, I really do recommend this movie to you. I think that it is something that a lot of people would enjoy if they have my sensibilities and my tastes. That being said, I I highly recommend it. I mean, you've if you're at this point you've listened to us talk about it for an hour and a half. Check it out. <laughs> Honestly, at this point if you've listened to us this far and you haven't heard it, you probably know already whether you want to see the movie or not. But I personally think it's an incredible movie and my favorite movie of the year so far. This movie took a took a big swing, which I really respected for. In my opinion, 
knocked it out of the park. I love it. Uh, I'm gonna shake is, your hand, Brett. Uh, shake your hand. Easily my favorite movie that I've seen all year. Contends with Super Mario Bros, but it's really close. Well, is, I I need you to when we're done here look at the movies you've seen this year and if only give I me use, five that are I better than this because there are certainly not five. If I use Letterbox consistently. This would be so much easier. I interrupted you, Brad. I'm so Go sorry. I'm just shocked by why it's take. Uh, this is a movie that I want to rewatch. I think I'm gonna be rewatching it a couple of times, uh, which is a pretty big deal to me. It's not something that I do a lot. Mm-hmm. Ari Aster's got that dog in him. Wolf. He's the dude. He's the guy. He's going to be the guy for a long time, even if this movie is not like going to be remembered by as many people because as many people are not going to have seen it as yeah. a Hereditary or a Midsummer. He killed it. I love what he went for. I love what this means for the future for Ari Aster because I, I think that it means he's going to be doing more films that are outside of like you know uh, clear-cut genre. Everything's great about this. I'm super happy with what he delivered on. Facts. Glad we agree, Brett. Wyatt, I'm glad we disagree. It's fun to do that sometimes. People are crazy. I think you're dumb, though. Isn't it wild how we all watched the same thing and then <laughs> took wildly different interpretations from yeah. it? It's what makes the human experience magical. Yeah. It's what, uh, how some people really like Megan for some Mithrigan. reason. Mithrigan. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to look at the audience now. I've been like probably making way too much eye contact this whole time. They I've just like been it, zoning one out. Thank you very much for listening. If you've gotten to this point, we are the last of the moon podcast. You can find us at last of the moon pod on all of our socials. And we pretty much just use Instagram, although, uh, TikTok pending Twitter pending, uh, give us a follow on those platforms. We would appreciate it very much. Uh, we would also really appreciate a five star rating on whatever streaming platform you were listening to. We're available on all of them. Thank you very much. We love you. I love you. Good night. I love you. They're holding me against my will here. We're holding him in the attic. Please help. There's a big big penis monster. Please. Good night. We love you. Your dad actually calls me the big penis monster. (laughs)